0: Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman and child that calls this church family home to be a part of connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, we took a break from our Mark series last weekend. Pastor John was sharing about the birthday of the church, Pentecost, and we're jumping back in back into the series from the Gospel of Mark. And the title for the message this weekend is Choosing Well, The Power of Our Decisions. We're gonna talk about choices. Jesus, a word about Jesus was getting out there. He's performing these miracles, this amazing teaching ministry, of course, that he had. And word is out there, and here's what we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 14. When King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known, some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb." When I first saw this passage that I needed to preach from today, and when you're going through a series, you have to preach on whatever the passage is. You don't get a choice. I'm like, awesome. I get to go to Windsor and talk about execution. <laughs> Amazing. But actually, I believe there's, uh, there's some really powerful stuff for us in this particular story. Uh, some years ago, and you may have heard me talk about it if you've heard me preach before. Some years ago, um, Kay and I, um, were half asleep. It was the early hours of the morning. We we're in that sort of half slumber state and suddenly bang, there is a, a sound of someone banging on our on our window. Uh, and that's kind of freaky really. And uh, I tried to ignore it. And uh, then about two minutes later, bang, there it is again. And I'm like, what is going on here? That is is crazy. And so um, you know, can and I have this little conversation that married couples often have? We, I, I said, uh, "Are you awake?" And she said, "Yeah, are you?" And uh, I said, "Honey, did you hear that?" She said, "I think I did." I said, "Someone's banging on our window." I said, "We need to investigate this. So um, I will stay here, honey, and pray." I would be prayerfully supportive. And why didn't you go and check out what's going on? And of course, I didn't say that. Um, I got up, and and I, I probably shouldn't say this in public, but I don't own a gun, all right? So if you want to come break into our house, I know it's unlikely, looking around, but I don't have a gun. I have a pellet gun, a pellet gun, and I don't know where it is. I can't find it. So if you do come and break into our house, I'm going to say, could you just wait for a while because I want to get you with the pellet, but I need to locate the gun. It really is as sad as that. So I go over to the window, and um, and suddenly, bang! There it goes again. And then I realize, and you probably know this because you're a Coloradoan, that um, this is a bird. This is a bird. And what they what happens is they they they're very territorial, and they see their reflection in the window, and they think enemy, enemy. I mean, it's really stupid. It's them, right? <laughs> but they think the enemy is here. So they fly at what they think is the bird and they hit the window. And they fall down on the deck with a corrugated beak. And then they take a couple of Advil and then a couple of minutes later, they do the same thing again. Woo, look at that. I can see you like that for some reason. I kind of want you to get a bit bored with this. I, I want you to, I can see it on your faces now. You go, all right, all right, funny man, you know, move on, we got it. I'll tell you why I'm keeping doing it. Ooh, look at that, oh, Because it's really boring making the same bad decisions over and over again. And I, and I went out on the deck and me and the bird, we had a little chat. I'm like, look, bird brain, It's you, stop it. And you know, the bird's got a nose like me, I can see round corners with this thing. And this bird just keeps on making the same bad choices. That is exactly what this story is about. This man called Herod, who didn't just make one or two bad choices, he kept making them and he never ever learned His name was Herod. Now, the moment you hear the name, we hear the name Herod, we think Herod the Great, you know, the the so called Herod the Great, the guy with the Nativity massacre. This is not him. This is his son. Herod the Great, this is Herod the Tetrarch, who's married to Herodias, and they have a daughter that we think was called Herodias. When it came to naming family members, these people did not have a lot of imagination. Tell, let me tell you that. And this is Herod the Tetrarch. He became a governor at the age of 16. A little bit of history. He married a woman called Phaselis. She was a princess from neighboring Nabatea. How many have ever heard of Petra? You heard of Petra? Beautiful city. Well, that was a Nabatean city. And he married this princess. But then he fell in love with the wife of his half brother, Philip. And this woman is called Herodias. So he divorced his first wife and sent her home and he married Herodias. So now these are the characters here. Mark tells us that Jesus' name had become well known. And now everybody's trying to choose and decide who is this Jesus? Who is this? And some think that it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And some think it's Elijah who's come back. And some think it's another prophet. But Herod is freaking out. Because Herod thinks this is the ghost of John the Baptist come back to haunt him. And I want you to notice the detail because Mark at least three times calls Herod King Herod. But here's the thing. He was never, ever Named a king. We're gonna find out a little more about that later. Have you ever met people when they're having a conversation with you and they wanna indicate inverted commas or speech marks, they go like this, they go. I find that personally quite irritating, I don't know why. What Mark is doing here, he is, and I don't want you to miss this, Mark is going, and yeah, and then king, Herod. Because the guy, was never named as king. We'll come back to that. This story, it's all about decisions. It's recently been stated from college, university, academic studies that you and I make around 35,000 decisions every day. 35,000. Now, how do they know that? I have no clue. One study from Cornell University says that we make 220, on average, 226 decisions every day about food. 226. Decisions, rather obviously, affect everything in life, our health, marriage. That's kind of weird, hearing about those people who met at VBS, they met their marriage partners. I mean, people marry young around here, don't they? That was... <laughs> I was thinking, that's kind of crazy. Everything, everything that we do in life comes as a result of the choices. The clothing that that person is wearing next to you, they think it looks good. Does anyone remember the 70s? Anyone remember the the era of the 1970s when a fashion demon roamed the earth? And we wore men wore flared pants or trousers, and we had wide lapels so wide that if the wind caught you, you'd end up in Botswana. And 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 I had a I had a perm back then, a perm, because I had hair, not this shrinking peninsula that I've got right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, I used to have Texas up here. Now I've got Maryland. You know, it's it's really shrinking. And I had a perm and I had wide lapels. And I've seen, you should see our wedding picture. And people look at my beautiful wife, Kay, and they look at me and they always go, why? Why? Why did we do that? We made choices. Choices are part of everything. You are making choices right now. I'm not gonna listen anymore to him. Where are we gonna go and eat dead chicken after this service is done? Is this seat comfortable? We are constantly making choices. Jean-Paul Sartre, the philosopher and novelist said, we are our choices. Our lives are the collection, the result of our choices. And they don't only affect us. I've been in ministry now for about 400 years. And over the centuries, I have constantly heard people say, well, it's my life. It's my life. It's my choice. I'm not hurting anybody. Whatever I do. Was it John Donne who said, no man, no woman is an island. None of us live in isolation from each other. And the reality is that our choices affect other people. John the Baptist lost his head because of these horrendous Choices that Herod made. Our choices matter. So what can we learn about choices as we spend this next two and a half hours together? I'm just kidding. Fear came down like the rain just then. Number one, our choices shape our legacy. Our choices shape our legacy. This is all about conscience and consequences. Look at what Herod says, when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. If you study the literal Greek of that sentence, Herod is saying this, I did it, I did it, it's me, I did it, and then Mark amplifies that. Herod had him arrested, Herod had him put in prison. Herod's legacy is being shaped by his refusal to obey his conscience. Now, let me just say something about conscience. My conscience, your conscience, is not infallible. It is not God, particularly those of us who've been raised in a legalistic Christian environment. We're pretty good, if, if that's you, we're pretty good at feeling <laughs> bad about ourselves. Uh, when I, I was not raised in that kind of background, but Um, early on in my Christian life, I thought it was wrong to have fun. In fact, I went forward in one service to repent of feeling happy. And you ever met Christians like that? And they've just been told that everything has to be serious. I went to preach in one church and this guy came up to me. Man, did he look miserable. And he said, we don't have fun here. We have joy. And I took one look at him and I'm thinking it's pretty deep. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And everybody takes one look at us and they go, where? Down in my heart. If you've been raised with the idea that you're not supposed to laugh or smile or have fun, well, that's a a false message in your conscience. And your conscience is not infallible. I was once told as a Christian, you know, always, the Bible says, always let your conscience be your guide. And I thought, okay, so if I feel bad, I must be bad. And I tried to find that verse in the Bible. Is it in the epistles or in Proverbs or in the Gospels? Always let your conscience be your guide. And I finally tracked it down. And it's not in the Bible, it's Jiminy Cricket to Pinocchio. <laughs> so our conscience is not infallible. Nevertheless, a healthy conscience is not something to be ignored. Herod did that. And look at what his legacy is. Look at what Jesus said about him. Jesus describes him, Luke 13, as that fox. There's clearly an insult there because a fox, in Jewish thinking, was an unclean animal, but it gets worse than that. Because two verses later, Jesus says this about the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I would have longed to gather your children together, look at this, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. What's the primary threat to a hen and her chicks? That would be a fox. I've read this passage hundreds of times, and I didn't notice that until this week. That what Jesus is saying is, Herod, this guy who's finishing off building the temple that his father started, this guy is sneaky, he's cunning, he's, he's a, a predator, he's like a fox. But then look at what Jesus says about John the Baptist, the guy that lost his head. "'Truly I tell you, among those born of women, "'there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist.'" Stop right there. What's our legacy going to be? And legacy, by the way, is not something that we just leave behind when we die. It's what we are creating right now. What's our legacy going to be? Is it cunning, crafty, the fox? Or is it Jesus saying, "'What greatness.'" has characterized their life, I, I know what I want. We only get to live once. Our choices shape our legacy. Secondly, let's make anchor mindless choices. Let me explain that. Let's make anchor mindless choices. Herod just didn't know who to listen to or how to decide. Why did he have John arrested? Well, we read, he did this because of Herodias his brother Philip's wife whom he had married but then he's listening to John the Baptist Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man so Herod is bouncing between conversation with all of these different voices he's listening to John he's listening to his wife He's listening to the political situation because he's been appointed by the Romans. And if there's trouble, he might lose his place. He's listening, he's listening, he's listening. I believe that we need to make decisions that are anchored decisions and then mindless ones. What does that mean? It means that once we've decided, we no longer negotiate. It's decided and therefore it's done. And I've been uh, experiencing the good of that just in in recent weeks in my own life. When I I started thinking about this, I was thinking, is that biblical, that idea? And then I realized that the Garden of Eden was all about this, because God gave a statement, an anchor statement, don't eat from that tree. And then the enemy came along, the serpent came along and says, let's talk about that, shall we? let's talk about that. What is a marriage vow? It's a thoughtful decision that's intended to thereafter be mindless. You don't negotiate about it. You're in covenant now. And I've been experiencing that. I've, been, I've, been, uh, I've struggled for quite a lot of years uh, with physical exercise, with working out, and I used to run a lot, but I hated it. I told myself I loved it, but I hated it. And my body hated it and my mind really hated it. I'd get out there, I had really good running gear, I had the gear and I'm running along. I mean, I, I've gone quite a long way. I've got quite a gift of endurance. I've gone at least 150 yards and, and my mind says, this is stupid, you're gonna die. Lie down on the ground, order a pepperoni pizza. Or what happens is this, I, uh, I put my exercise gear next to the bed and then I get up in the morning and the idea is, because the gear's there, then I'm going to do this. But then the negotiation begins. You didn't sleep well last night. You've got a busy day. The conversation began. How many know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. So what I did is I said, right. Here's my anchor decision. I will work out six days out of seven. That was about a month ago. Now there are emergency exits in my anchor decision like this morning, actually, because... I had to finish off getting ready to come and talk to you. So, but here's the thing. I've made an anchor decision, which means, and my wife is here to witness this, this means that I will work out this afternoon. No conversation, no discussion. The anchor decision has been made. We need to make those decisions carefully, not in a rush. We need to clarify why we're making that choice. It needs to be attainable. We might share it with others for accountability and review it very occasionally. What anchor choices might we make? Herod didn't seem able to do anything like that. Thirdly, let's refuse to flirt with faith. Refuse to flirt with faith. When Herod heard John, we read, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. And the word liked there, you find it in 2 Corinthians 11, it means gladly. Happily, with appreciation. Herod liked listening to sermons. Later on, we read, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. For a long time, he'd been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. You know what Herod was? He was a kind of happy church-going consumer. Oh yeah, I I like to show up and I kind of, I kind of like the sermons as long as they're not too long, you know. I I kinda like that. And and we can become consumers who are flirting with Christianity. Kay and I have got a, a couple of friends back in England. I mean, we're not that sad, we've got more than a couple of friends, but the two that I'm referring to, one of them is a retired university professor, and she is an atheist. And the other is a retired London barrister, an, at, uh, an attorney. And he would describe himself as a nominal churchgoer. So we're having dinner with these two friends recently. And Sue, the atheist, David says, well, I, I'm, I, you know, I go to church, I'm kind of a nominal Christian. And the atheist turns to the nominal Christian. Oh, I just did that this then, didn't I? turns to the nominal Christian. And she, here's what she said. She said, you know what? I don't believe there's a God, but if I did, I wouldn't be nominal about it. I'd be 100% all in. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm watching an atheist evangelise a nominal Christian. <laughs> Let's not flirt with faith. Yeah, nothing much else to do on Sunday. Let's just go along and that's nice, very good. Let's not flirt with faith. Fourthly, choices made at parties are usually perilous. (laughs) Some of you are laughing because you've got history. And I always struggle with pronunciation of the word party. I preached the whole sermon at Timberline Road years ago. Uh, and I used the word party a lot. And a lot of people were confused because with my accent, I, I'd recently come back from England where we'd had successful accent refurbishment surgeries. And with my accent, they thought I was saying potty. God loves potties. And they're going, what do you mean God loves potties? Because you pronounce it differently, don't you? So we British people, what we do is we mumble and then people think it's classy. We believe in not fully opening our mouths. So we, we don't, we, we just say, party, party. Everyone say that with me, party, party. Just say it again, party. You sound like drunk Swedish people. <laughs> but you Americans, you don't say it like that because you want to open your whole mouth, baby. Party, bah. <laughs> You're going to wear your jaws out with that one. Well, Whatever. This party is going on and most commentators believe that the king was drunk because we read the king, uh, the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And then he kind of repeats himself because that's what you do I think when you're drunk. And then he, he, he's a happy drunk. He's a generous drunk, because he says this. I mean, imagine this. Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. Up to half my kingdom. That was my drunk impersonation. Terrible choices are made at parties. But you don't have to be drunk to make a bad choice. You just need to be in a hurry in the heat of temptation. You just need to be distracted. That's all you need. That's all we need. Years ago, when Kay and I were dating, um, we were driving along in my car in England. It it was a Christian car. Um, I got it for 50 bucks. It had a hole in the floor. I had to tie the windows up with rope. And I was overcharged, that's all I'm saying. And uh, we're driving, and it's a thoroughly Christian car because we've got a big Jesus sticker on the back. You know, Jesus is alive on the, on the boot, on the trunk. And it's a really Christian car. We've got so many fishes on the back of that thing, it looked like a mobile aquarium. It was staggering. <laughs> And suddenly we are aware of a member of law enforcement who wanted to have a little chat with us. This police car came up behind us, woo, 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 and pulls us over. Now, if I'm ever stopped by the police, and it's, it's happened once or twice, evangelistic opportunities, I normally become like Prince Charles. My accent becomes very posh. I become, not excuse me, King Charles. Off with his head. And I, beca- you know, hello, officer, how are you? Lovely to see you. How can I help you possibly today? Lovely, super. <laughs> and he said, young man, you are not focused on your driving. And I said, no, oh officer, I'm terribly sorry. What, what is it about my driving that wasn't focused? And he said, because you and your girlfriend were kissing while you were driving. Oh, yeah. He said, you weren't focused. I'm thinking, I was focused. (laughs) He said, keep clear of distraction. Bless his heart. He didn't give us a ticket. I mean, it wasn't our greatest evangelistic moment, right? Where Jesus is alive, kissing while driving. Hello. Hello. Crazy illustration. You don't have to be drunk at a party to make a bad choice. You just need to be distracted or in cruise control. Choices made at parties are usually perilous. Well, the last thing is this. That is, know that bad choices usually lead to worse choices. So let's get this. First of all, he marries, Herod marries Herodias. And uh, then he makes another bad choice because he throws this party and he's probably drunk. And then he makes another choice that's bad because he makes a promise that he should never keep. And then what do we read? We read the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. An accumulation of bad choices has led to a tragic choice the death of an innocent man. But it gets worse than that, everybody, because later Herod meets Jesus and look at what we read in Luke 23. Herod plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. You see, when we make Bad choices, the choices that are bad can accumulate because we don't stand on level ground. It's a downhill trek. But there is some good news. It wasn't good news for Herod, but there is some good news for us. And that is that if we will give Jesus our bad choices, he can not only forgive us, but redeem those choices, bring something good even out of something bad. Bad. Look at this from Acts chapter 4. Herod and Pontius Pilate, this is a prayer from the early church, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And then look at this. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, that doesn't mean that Herod was a puppet, and it doesn't mean that he was not responsible for his decisions. But ultimately, God redeemed even that series of horrendous choices to bring something good out of it. Indeed, our salvation because Jesus went to the cross. If we can bring our bad choices to Jesus, he can redeem them. Maybe we'll learn by our mistakes. That's redemption. Maybe we'll be a bit more compassionate. That's redemption. Maybe we'll help others to not make the same poor choices that we did. That's redemption. Maybe we'll let go of arrogance and superiority. That's redemption. Is it time to stop the downhill slide? Sir, are you right on the brink, right on the edge of making a choice that 30 years from now you will rue the day that you made that decision. Your family will never look at you the same way again. Is it time to stop the downhill slide? Well, as Jan and uh, Mike come back, I invite them to come back because when the worship team come back, everyone has hope. (laughs) What happened to... What happened to Herod? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Josephus, a Jewish historian, does. What we know is that Herod, having divorced that first wife, she went home to Daddy, who was a king in Nabatea, and Daddy was mad. He was angry that his daughter had been rejected. And so in AD 36, he attacked the region that Herod Antipas was in charge of and he beat their army. The consequences were huge. And then, because Herod was like this, remember? I can see it in your eyes, bless you. Look at you going, oh, he's doing that again. Time for lunch. because Herod was like this, one more time he listened to Herodias. She said to him, you're just king, but you're not really a king. Why don't you go to Caligula, the emperor, and ask for the title of king? He listened to her again. And he went to Caligula And it didn't go well, and the king never became a king. He was banished to Gaul together with his lovely wife. He lost it all because he kept listening to the wrong voices and he never learned. My brothers and sisters, I say this to me, the preacher, and I say it to you, the hearers. God helping us. Let's choose well. Now, we're going to pray in a moment. Let me just ask you a question as we come to a moment of prayer. Um, and I wonder how many of us would say that we're in a place of Pretty critical decision making right now. We, we've got a big choice to make, and we need God's wisdom for that choice. How many, just, just wave at me, how many of us feel like that? That's, that's where you're at. Quite a, quite a few of us are in that, and, and we're going to pray about that in a moment. And let me ask another question How many of us are actually living with the results of somebody else's poor choices? And every day, every day, we have to live with the implications of things that someone else decided. I'd love to pray for you as well. How many of us are like that? Just be honest if that's true for you, somebody else's poor choices. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you're able, please. Let's stand. And before we sing, let's, let's pray. Lord, as we've looked at the life of this this man, Herod, today, it's a sobering story. We thank you that we're not alone when we have to decide, that you've told us that if we lack wisdom, we should ask you for it. So we pray for our friends who find themselves in a valley of decision today. They're, They're on the brink. They need to choose. Would you grant them wisdom and clarity? For all of us, Lord, we pray that you'll show us where we need to make anchored decisions, where we just won't negotiate. Uh, give us clarity in our choices and then give us the energy that comes from the Holy Spirit, you working in us to follow through with those choices. And then finally, Father, we, we pray for those who today live in the shadow of the choices that others have made. And I don't have a cliche or a slogan to offer here, Lord, but we pray together that you will strengthen and grant great grace to them. Because for some, every day is impacted by the choices that they did not make. Would you lift their hearts and lift their heads and grant them strength, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, and everybody said, Amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.